Welcome to CB Talks, a podcast from SilverCloud Health, the leading global provider of evidence-based well-being and behavioral health solutions. I'm Dr. Jorge Palacios, Senior Digital Health Scientist, and in each episode, I explore the science of digital mental health. I'm joined by leading mental health practitioners, experts, and advocates as we consider how the latest research can be used to empower those using its services. In today's episode, I'm looking at how an integrated and coordinated care system combined with digital health can help to serve the growing needs of the community. I'm joined by Dr. Brian Palmer, who's Vice President of Mental Health and Addiction at Alina Health. Alina Health is a not-for-profit healthcare system which operates in the U.S. states of Minnesota and Wisconsin. Working closely with SilverCloud, Alina Health has provided a robust care delivery service and supports those using its systems. So, Brian, welcome. Um, I am obviously very excited for this podcast. This is, I mean, we haven't met face-to-face, but I think this is the next best thing that we get to chat. I, I want to say thank you again for joining and just kick off um, with, you know, this is uh, obviously classic question, but, you know, people are listening to an expert here and I want them to know more about you and your career. And um, what kind of led you to this point then um, of, of obviously being here on this podcast, but like in the position and the role you're in, how did life find you there? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've always been really attracted to the intersection between individual patient care and the systems that drive that patient care. Um, and so, vacillating back and forth. When I was a, a medical student, I got into health policy and advocacy work, and I, I was, was president of the American Medical Student Association. So I spent a year in D.C. doing policy and advocacy work for the organization and then did a psychiatry residency. And I assumed I would want to go back to D.C., but I, I just love the patient care. And so I ended up specializing in borderline personality disorder and got into really deep one-on-one care and worked with families of kids with borderline. And then I sort of moved gradually back to the more meta um, thinking and am almost fully back in that um, system approach. So I I helped lead a large mental health and addiction care delivery system in the upper Midwest now and um, spend most of my day now thinking about the the systems and structures around patient care that facilitate them or don't. And so I, I really enjoy sort of moving back and forth in my, my thinking and that my sort of funny career path probably reflects that um, dialectic. Do you mind um, expanding a little bit on um, on what Alina Health is as a system and, and how it's structured in, in the states of Minnesota and Wisconsin? Oh, sure. Yeah. Alina is a large um, integrated um, healthcare delivery system in, as you said, Minnesota and Wisconsin. We have 11 hospitals. We're in about 90 um, clinics and we have programs for everything in between. We have about 30,000 employees and together we collectively try to serve the healthcare needs of our community. And um, was there like a tipping point in your career where you decided that you could do a lot more if you focused on the system as a whole? Um, like, Is there like a moment that you remember that that was key for you? It's, yeah, it's always been a both and that I, I think... I, I deeply value one-to-one patient care, and especially in psychiatry, where we're, we're just privileged to understand the inner lives of people in in, in depth. But it, that doesn't exist in a vacuum, and it, it always occurs to me, both from the patient perspective, I mean, the, the social context in which their 
symptoms and illness emerge is so important to treatment. But on the provider context, the provider side, the context in which we practice and how we approach patients is equally impacted external to us. And so while we think about those two people in the room, there's these layers behind them that I, I've just always found really, um, I've personally been just drawn to that um, thinking and, and moving kind of back and forth uh, in my own mind. And so, yeah, maybe at some point I'll move full-time back into clinical practice and see uh, do analytic training yeah. and see patients in depth again or something like that. But yeah, yeah. I mean it's one thing for for another, right? I do remember my father, who's also a doctor, always saying that his favorite thing was just being in that office with the patient one to one, right? And getting that immediate effect. And it certainly was what I remember most fondly about, you know, my internship years and my, you know, the years where I was properly in the hospital. Like mm-hmm. the time a patient says something to you that's like, you know, really impactful. So you kind of have to sacrifice that when you're leading a healthcare system because you may not get that you know individual thank um like gratitude um but the work you're doing impacts so many it's just you don't see it maybe every day you see it through other things and hopefully throughout this conversation we'll be able to reaffirm that that the work that you do does have an impact on so many and thanks to digital and technologies you know even more and more right because we're we're a key area for that so i wanted to ask you you know as a leader in in a line of health like how did you come to deciding that you wanted to incorporate digital care and digital solutions within your system like, is there, is there a chance for us to be a fly on the wall on the moment where that got decided or that led to someone saying, look, I mean, this needs to happen now? Yeah, there were, there were a series of moments. Um, I think one and probably foremost, Alina is on the front edge of driving value-based care. I think most of the systems in the U.S. are, are starting to find new ways to contract with the payers. And, and we were early and have a higher amount of our revenue at risk than the vast majority of systems. And so we are really working hard internally to think, you know, how do you drive value in mental health where we don't have great outcome measures? We don't have the ability to see exactly what the impact of our work is. And we built our system on, you know, 45 minute office visits for psychotherapy and see more patients is the way you build the system and take care of people. Shifting into new models of care is going to be essential in the next few years as we really change the nature of healthcare delivery. And so then in our case, we have that imperative. Simultaneously, we have an access crisis that COVID has really driven up the need for mental health services and we're turning away patients who need our services, et cetera. And so the partnership with Silver Cloud really is addressing both of those simultaneously, that for many patients, um, having access to an online platform that is asynchronous, they prefer that, they can do it in the evening, they don't have to have the inconvenience of parking and all of that. It's great from a patient perspective for, for a subset of patients that really like that type of engagement. And then from a system perspective, we we're now up to you know over a thousand patients that have um, been prescribed the platform, and we're we're not even live throughout the entirety of our primary care setting yet. So this this will scale and and actually have the ability to impact enough lives that we can provide good care and address our access issue 
and drive value. And when you check all those boxes, that's like, oh, it's kind of, I mean, back to the fun part of leading healthcare systems. It's really mm. the right thing for the patient, the right thing for the system, the right thing for the society that's trying to manage how we use healthcare resources. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And um, just to kind of clarify, uh, like how exactly does Alina Health and your providers use this platform? I mean, how, how does it work? It's not just, you know, something that gets plugged in. Like that's the key issue, isn't it? How do you implement it? We had a very um, in-depth internal process of figuring out that question, which was really, actually, it was kind of fun to think as a psychiatrist and think, what's what's treatment of an illness? And if it is treatment, it should you know, fall into how we approach most medical care. So it'd be prescribed, it would have an indication, it would be, if somebody's not following through with it, there would be follow-up and we would know that they're not following through with it, et cetera. And so we we actually carved off some of the um, well-being modules because those we view as things that are actually good for everybody that aren't particular treatment per se, although they have they have benefits to um, patients and all of us, to be sure. I could use the mindfulness program more often. But the anxiety and depression for people that are scoring in the sort of mild to moderate range really do view that as treatment. So at Alina, that's prescribed and it's prescribed in primary care. We looked at having it prescribed in specialty mental health, but really came to the conclusion that if you're in specialty mental health, you're already receiving treatment that's probably a little bit more advanced or more individualized than the the online platform would be. So it's prescribed in mental health. And then the backbone of our um, psychiatry mental health operation and primary care is are these 39 social workers that we call mental health consultants that can see patients for one to six sessions. They're flexibly able to meet social determinant needs. That's currently um, active at Align in primary care. We made the mental health consultant team, the coaches for Silver Cloud, so that they're already connected in primary care. If somebody's not doing well, they can have line of sight to that. They can wrap more services around. They can help make a new treatment plan, whatever it is. And in fact, we go so far that if, if they're not responding to their coach or using the platform, we actually cut off their access and send them back to primary care because we really want to make sure that somebody's following this treatment um, as a treatment. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. And I mean, so are you talking about kind of refining or applying the integrated care approach and, and the coordinated care approach? Because, I mean, I know that's a concept. It's been studied quite a bit and, you know, like a lot of research uh, has come of it and how useful it is. But then, you know, again, one thing is the model and then it's applying it to your specific system. And, I mean, I'm I'm not based in the U.S., but I know enough about the U.S. healthcare system that, it, you know, there's a lot of variation from system to system, state to state. Yeah, and there are a couple of questions I think embedded in there. The first was about how we approach collaborative care. And that certainly is a model that has good evidence behind it. It, it absolutely is shown to reduce healthcare costs, drive up um, the quality of care, and um, help address medical comorbidities. Our review is that it tends to be on the a little bit more on the biological side of the spectrum in terms of its biases, that its nurse care coordinators become the center of um, a lot of the model. There's psychiatric access, et cetera, and it supports supports primary care well. And it does those things very well. We have, we have tons of, we have 15 integrated psychiatrists. We practice in a collaborative care model. We, we like that model. But Alina, we talk about whole person care being the 
the essential part of what we try to provide. And really, we, we, we talk about that and we try to live it, that we know social determinant needs and all of the drivers of especially mental illnesses um, have much to do, as we were talking earlier, with the context around people and that actually we think that social work is probably the discipline that should be more at the core of that mm-hmm. care management and coordination than nurse care coordinators. And it's an interesting intellectual discussion. We've, we've landed where we've landed. We, we we're, we're still support everything going well, but we have really invested heavily in this model. So then for us, layering in silver cloud, it needed to be an extension of that sort of primary care system in a way that would tighten the integration of those teams rather than fragment. I, I actually was talking about this concept that uh, it, was, it was just a completely different conversation, but I said something along the lines of, you know, how, how, we, cons- how we might consider digital platforms as a gateway but not as a good gateway, not like, you know, like there's gateway drugs that lead to it, but like a gateway to good things, which is, you know, getting into the system, getting more care. And I think it kind of applies here, um, you know, where if you have a nice integrated system, you know, it's giving more people, more opportunities to get into that system because, you know, maybe they use the digital solution and the platform first for more lower acuity things. But then once they're in the system, you know, they're, they might need something more, you know, for, for something more severe, um, a different type of solution or a different type of uh, treatment, right? Would you agree with that, that it works kind of like that? Mostly. Um, I, so mm-hmm. the entry, you're descri- what you're describing exists and we could do it where say a patient would use a silver cloud type platform and complete a PHQ-9 and a GET-7 and ask a few questions and it could sort of guide them to what the treatment is. Our approach is a little bit more heavy on the primary care provider being the in their relationship with the patient, the gateway, that then from mm-hmm. that discussion becomes, you know what, you're the right person. I think there's this you know online platform that could really help you versus Actually, I think you really could benefit from a psychotherapist versus let me get an e-consult from a psychiatrist and see if we can help with a med approach. And it takes it lets the primary care provider take into account all the individual factors about patient preference, about illness severity, about their kind of their relationship with the patient. And it actually deepens the primary care provider's relationship with that person over time. Um, and so it it it, it, that's the way we've chose, chosen to do it is that it, it really enhances primary care. You could make a there, it's a fascinating question of what the right model is to serve a large population. And that, because you, as you say, there, you, a different model could be that you sort of start here and get routed where you belong through the process that is almost detached from the healthcare system. I mean, you could just use it as a standalone online platform and, and get people to where they need. We really think about the, I mean, the systemness being integrated is where the value is of being a patient of, say, Alina Health rather than just your own your own person out in the uh, weeds looking for a doctor once in a yeah. while when you need it. I mean, you you are a part of Alina Health, and we want to deepen that relationship yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's fascinating anyway, because it makes you really think about, again, you know, how how to use 
this model, this, these solutions and work them intelligently, smartly into your system. I mean, and like we're kind of asking the questions that anyone should be asking. And, you know, at the same time, you know, you go with something that works, but then you have to be flexible to making small changes here and there because, you know, there may be there may be things that work a little bit better. No, and in the end, you're working for your patients. And uh, um, but I do like since we're talking about impact, and you mentioned impact for patients, which is, you know, obviously, I mean, I've I've, I've been doing this for doing research on this for about five years, and, and working for Silver Cloud, and and I've seen so many instances of that benefit. But at the same time, we're talking about impact, and you said the impact for the primary care providers and systems. So the impact also is for them, right? For the supporters, the coaches. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, have you gotten feedback of people saying, you know, this this has, you know, enhanced my ability to do my job? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. I, I, when I read the patient feedback um, for the hundreds that have completed, you know, they've gone through the full coaching and all of the modules and her at the end, I, I'm actually pretty impressed that it's, they, the feedback is that they feel like they've had therapy. I mean, there is a, a way in which they can observe themselves better. They can, uh, their thinking is less black and white. I was hoping that'd be the case, but I confess I had a little skepticism um, going in of whether, you know, online modules are going to be able to get us that far. But I think whether it's the referral process or the self-selection process, I, there is something about the patients who want to do that type of treatment that um, there is, there's some there there for, for people that want it. Your secondary question is interesting to me. Like, what's the impact then on the providers, the coaches, et cetera? There is kind of this pride on the coaching team of really feeling like they, they lift up their progress in a newsletter, they send it out to primary care, they include the patient quotes. There's this sense of like, I'm helping facilitate someone's growth in a way that is deeply rewarding. And I, I think back to our initial opening discussion of you know the the inherent work of one-to-one -one patient care. There is something about facilitating someone else's progress that actually can still be deeply rewarding in, in different ways, but the idea that one coach could serve rather than you know eight patients in a day, maybe able to serve 80 patients in a day or whatever the exact number works out to be for their particular uh, cohort. That's an interesting ability to think of how much more impact the, that coach can have with shorter, more focused interventions than the 45-minute version. So that's been a pleasant um, surprise. And then primary care, uh, primary care docs are, they work hard, they treat everything, they are under tremendous amount of pressure all the time. And the idea they've got something useful to offer that can help a person is always helpful to them. I mean, that's a... Sure. We've they're told all the time: screen for depression, screen for alcohol, screen for whatever. Well, if they've got something to offer after the screening that the patient can get, rather than a weeks long wait list for psychotherapy or you know no chance of getting into a psychiatrist, whatever, but they've got something to offer that can actually help. That is a deep satisfier for primary care. There are like workers are under so much strain, and a lot of it is this kind of anxiety. We talked a lot about kind of doctors being thought of classically as, you know, these superheroes that could do everything. So imagine identifying a problem because you have to screen and then not being able to do anything about it or not able to offer someone something quickly. So just giving them more tools, you know, to be able yeah. to do that. 
I mean, it's not, I, I also don't want to paint this, you know, just one-sided, um, you know, this picture with one, just one brush. I mean, I know there's still challenges. You talked about even your own skepticism about this and because um, that's, that's natural. I mean, of course, any, some, any innovation brings skepticism um, for the people that have been there, done that and know what works, right? So, I mean, with that, is that still a challenge for a lot of people that you work with? And what other challenges do you see in terms of, you know, digital becoming more a more accepted solution, a more just, you know, naturally integrated solution, not just SilverCloud, but any other solutions that you've integrated within Alini? Are there any specific examples that you can point to? In terms of acceptability, I think there's been an interesting phenomenon with COVID and the move to virtual care that has accelerated the receptivity to change. I and mean, if you remember, I mean, this was two years ago and well, two, almost exactly two years ago, we were, we moved the 94% of our practice to virtual in a three week period. So we, we had people taking home computer equipment to their home, setting up an office, uh, being able to run their calendar from home. And then the, the, yeah. the, the the medical assistant would still room the patient virtually and the provider would log in. And I mean, this whole thing happened literally in three weeks with an incredible amount of work and a full tilt transformation of mental health care delivery. And we had talked for 10 years before that. We were literally the week before COVID hit and the isolation occurred. We were ready to pilot the first virtual visit. Like we were going to pilot one and there was deep skepticism like, oh, we can't deliver them in the, you know, the same room. You can't detect affect. There's no way you could really connect with a patient deeply. All of this stuff, there's, we, should, we, don't, we should not be doing this. That was all there. Like that's not there. Like that has changed. And I think we're, you know, we should still be circumspect about the right ways and who, who's the right fit for virtual. But by and large, it's really been a pretty successful rapid transformation. If you can transform that, like the whole nature of what our profession does, into a whole different care delivery, the idea of adding a platform for some subset of patients to get asynchronous CBT—that's like low hanging. Like there's there's not a lot of <laughs> inertia that we have to overcome to to get that done. Um, yeah. In terms of other, well, it, it, I, yeah, go ahead. We could talk about other innovations too. No, no, no. I was just saying that's that's a lovely, very optimistic way to say it. But because um, yeah, I mean when when you have to do it, you just do it. You find a way, right? Yeah. I mean, the way you put it, like 94% in three weeks after a 10-year planning. Um, yeah, I mean, God, it's so easy to plan when you have all the time in the world, right? But then suddenly when you got to do it um, and you make it work in the end, um, because it's in, it's in everyone's interest to make it work, Yeah. which, you know, and it was, in many cases, it was everybody pulling together for this, you know, suddenly common goal that everybody just was just dumped. It, it just was dumped on all of us. Yeah. You know? um, there are so many stories like that of just, I mean, I know this is, this might be, it's too romanticized, but just human endeavor when you pull together, it's incredible. It really is. But I, anyway, we could go off on a tangent. I know I, I could, but, but I actually think it's fair. I mean, it is, if you think about innovation and healthcare, we're in a period that innovation is so much more possible than it was two years ago. I mean, I think one of, COVID is going to have some legacies. Mm. We have seen, we're going to have a substance use disorder legacy, which we're going to 
need 25 years to recover from. We've got a generation that has increased their use. Kids are going to be impacted disproportionately. There are some negative legacies of COVID. But the last two years, one of the positives, I think we're going to see a period that has unleashed an incredible amount of creativity and flexibility. Like you could work from home. You could work from an office. You could deliver healthcare this way. You don't have to do it this way. There's an incredible amount of flexibility that was just injected into all of us, it, it's unsettling and makes everybody makes everybody anxious, but it really does allow for a rapid improvement of things that we've needed to improve for a long time. So I, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I am inherently an optimistic person and maybe I come across as Pollyannish with it, but I, I do think there is something about this environment that has allowed us to do, even this partnership would not have been as easy were we, um, you know, sure. in that sort of other mentality of there's one way to provide mental health services, this is what we do, this is a threat to what we do, you know, that black and white kind of thing. We don't think of those ways anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, there is now that flexibility. There is that now that possibility, if you want to call it, you know, yeah. of, um, of re- you know, knowing that it is, it is a new world in many ways, and it just happened like that. And something else I wanted to ask you because of that is because this is moving so fast and yes, there's technology and there's, yes, there's opportunity, but that's, that's also potentially dangerous if that goes, like we're talking about healthcare, we're talking about, you know, uh, you know, life and death sometimes, you know, treatment diagnosis that historically has gone through decades of research and, you know, like making sure this works and experimenting and, you know, getting to the phase three trials, et cetera. Um, I did, um, obviously I Googled you and that included looking at uh, your profile and you say actually on there that, you know, it's, it's very important to, that care is individually tailored and based on medical evidence. Why, why do you think it's so important to have strong science attached to digital solutions and not you know, get too caught up in the fancy bells and whistles uh, and and forget about that. Why, why do you think it's so important? Well, it, I think, as you say, uh, we have an obligation to our patients because this is like sacred trust. I mean, we are still practicing medicine. There is still the responsibility and privilege we have of trying to care for someone. And if most people, most people, it takes them a long time to decide they want to seek out therapy when they finally get the courage to be that vulnerable and say, Hey, I need help with this. We want to meet them with good evidence that we think we can help them with what we do. On the one hand, it's true that the delivery of that through a digital platform is not yet as well tested as say delivering that in person over yeah with decades of research behind it but there's a there's certainly strong evidence that it's a safe and reasonably effective approach but it also has this sort of like opportunity on the upside to increase adherence to the strong science base that has been developed. We know that there's a gap. Um, we have a 131 therapists that work for Alina Health. And could I reliably say that all of them, every patient that's seen every day is able to access CBT in an adherent way that teaches thought records in a structured way that can look for core schemas, that can practice mindfulness in a way that detaches from the emotion? I think a lot of the practice is probably really good but do I think that 
adherent CBT is delivered um, universally? No. And so it's there's pros and cons to both. And anytime you have something new, everyone worries about the negative. There's also the, the upside. And I, I think it's the combination of both. I think the the opportunity for all of us will come in matching patients to the right treatment for them that I think for some patients, this is like the dream. And I've seen their reviews of their online CBT uh, work and thought, wow, that was the right treatment for you. And there are some that that's just not the right treatment for them, whether it's patient factors or disease-specific factors or whatever it is, and how we do that. Look, I mean, we talked about hope in the future. Um, I, I like to talk about the future as a researcher, and I think you might, you know, might, you know, you might be able to answer this. Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to your answer because, um, you know, I could ask you, yeah, I mean, what are the, the challenges or what's the future focus for leaders in this space? But I kind of want to frame it like this for you. Um, if you could have an answer to something that you don't know right now in the next two or three years um, with research, with science, with evidence base around or experience, like what would you want most like to know? Oh, well, there's so much. Um yeah, that's a curious question. I think we're, and again, this is as in my chair, thinking about a mental health and addiction care delivery system that is you know, fairly large in the upper Midwest and crosses multiple levels of care and types of care and serves patients at varying stages of disease with various medical problems and various mental health problems and comorbid addictions and the whole picture. I think the research questions that I'm interested in have to do with this care delivery. Like what, if we were to deploy resources here, how does that impact with a finite amount of resources to deploy? How, what's the impact of that approach versus a different approach? And to be able to get real-time information about that that can aid decision-making about how we grow programs, where we put program, how we serve best. That, I think, is the is the next phase. We're trying to build up some of our capacities to answer those questions internally with our own data analytics and um, finance analytics teams and uh, quality improvement and, you know, lean mm. methodologies that we're deploying. But that question that, that I'm asked to, like, think, well, do we grow our inpatient beds or do we hold them solid or do we how do we expand partial and what's the right number of partial seats to accommodate a population and what are we doing upstream like with health psychology for example should we be should should we be having an aggressive push into the cancer institute to try to wrap mental health services around the, that subset of our patients or is our primary care focus really the right home for that and how do we know like those are the things that I am, you know, intrigued by, and it's probably not at all what you were thinking I was going to answer, but that it's, it's just, in some ways, it's just a reflection of what I think about, like how I wish I had more data to answer those yeah. questions from the chair I'm in. When I was, I, mean, I, I really was a clinician full-time for a while and you know, did do a lot of work with personality disorder patients. There, my questions were more around um, you know, techniques and, and yeah, what, what right. happens in the patient's mind. Yeah. But so it's an artifact of where I sit, but it is also, I think, an interesting set of questions of where is mental health and addiction care delivery going and how do you build mm -hmm. systems of care? Because these disease, I mean, when mm -hmm. you say mm -hmm. 
mental health or addiction. That's a whole spectrum of illness that mm-hmm. runs from, you know, schizophrenia and bipolar. And uh, even, even within schizophrenia and bipolar, there are massive gradations of illness severity. And it's clearly neither of those are one illness, but we don't have good language to even parse that out. You know, there's this whole continuum that you have to be able to build and understand how it works and where it's driving value. And then I think as we continue to be accountable for the patients we care for as a population, we get more and more interesting opportunities to think about like what's the right way to serve society and that the, that type of research lets us answer those questions. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's that's what we all are working together to find out. So I mean I'm glad I, I get to I get to work with you on at least finding bits of that. I'm thing. grateful that you have the skill and expertise to try to answer some of these questions. That's uh, <laughs> it's really it's it's yeah. important and we need we need people to do that. But the other the other one I will say is this question of how well we deliver what we know works um, and how we scale that. I actually think is an interesting. It's less of a research question; it's more of a um, implementation question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But just take, you know, we're doing some work on suicide um, with, you know, that drives you know, suicide in an ED, drives inpatient hospitalization, et cetera, where people may have their symptoms temporized, but then they still discharge. It's unclear that that offers all that much benefit other than the sort of safety of the immediate environment. And we know that we have suicide-specific care, that if people can understand their own process for, for you know, Everyone has their own relationship with being alive. And under periods of stress, some people really move toward death as a a way of managing those intolerable feelings. And if they can understand those aspects of themselves and learn to understand what drives that, where it comes from, to be able to pull back away from that and reach out for use skills to manage it and build plans for that, we know that saves lives and prevents hospitalizations and can drive that. And so, but we've got 80 clinicians in our EDs that need to learn a pre- pretty advanced set of skills to be able to do that type of work. And that's where I think I, I we're, we have another digital partnership to try to work on this, but it's like using technology that, that moves toward adherence to good evidence that can, can enhance what a clinician can do is really exciting for me um, as another kind of broad area for where the field um, can go so that we we get better because we've got technology that's supporting us doing our work so that that gets me excited too yeah yeah no that's that's amazing i mean again you've put it really well i think it's, it summarizes it perfectly and um and look i mean i i've learned thanks to a brilliant colleague of mine that implementation science is also very very embedded in research and you can do a lot of research on it so you know it's it's also about you know trialing this trialing that speaking to the right stakeholders and then applying it and then see see what outcomes it has no so um yeah there's 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 a lot to do um but yeah i think we're both excited about it and obviously we're not the only ones there's a lot of people in this field that that are very excited right now and that's going to be ultimately you know good for the system and the patient right um so i just look i want to thank you so much brian it's been uh it's been too short uh, i knew this was going to happen that i was going to oh um now i want part two um but um but this is this has been a great conversation really a treat to speak with you i appreciate the time 
My big thanks to my guest, Dr. Brian Palmer from Alina Health. To hear more conversations surrounding digital mental health, you can listen to all previous episodes of CB Talks online. Just find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode in the series, please rate and review CB Talks so we can help others discover it too. I'll be back next time looking at another way in which digital technologies are involved in mental health. And I hope to see you then.